This is Remembering Yugoslavia, the show exploring the memory of a country that no longer exists. I'm your curator, Peter Korchnak. You're listening to the second installment of the new series here on the podcast, Inspired by Yugoslavia. In the first, in the previous episode, you heard from a couple of young filmmakers who are making documentaries in the contemporary era they consider Yugoslavia's future. You heard from an academic collaborating with her peers from across the former country to elevate women researchers in Western higher education institutions. And you heard from an artist making a graphic biography of her mother. A range of projects with but a thin thematic thread uniting them. Today's projects, inspired by Yugoslavia, are connected more concretely. What inspired them is New Belgrade, that part of Serbia's biggest city that the socialist Yugoslavia's government had built as an extension of the capital and a showcase of sorts. New Belgrade was envisaged and built as a new city on the swampy left bank of the River Sava. The new metropolis would be functionally separated into areas, or blocks, within which residents could fulfill their basic needs, and correspondingly would have less need to move around. Residential towers and slabs were placed in various configurations, with green spaces and functional buildings like shops and schools and medical offices in between. The blocks were divided by major arterial roads and crisscrossed by additional longitudinal roads. Whatever transportation was needed, among blocks and to other parts of the city, was to be serviced by trams, buses, trolleybuses, as well as state-owned service vehicles. And so it went, except nowadays vehicular traffic far exceeds the planner's vision. With over 200,000 inhabitants, New Belgrade has been experiencing a sort of a resurgence in public imagination, business investment, world attention, as well as on Belgrade's real estate market. The three projects I'm going to talk about today are in a sense part of this trend. All that socialist urban planning, architectural design, and, well, ordinary life in the place has had consequences far beyond the imagination of New Belgrade's creators, builders, and residents. I guess I should call this episode Inspired by New Belgrade. But before we cross the Rubicon, I mean the River Sava, I want to acknowledge and thank a few people who are making this adventure happen. Thank you Diana, Fatmir, Marianne, and Merima for your generous support. Your donations are what keeps the podcast rolling. If the stories you hear on Remembering Yugoslavia resonate with you in some way, if they enrich your life or you learn something from them, or hey, if the podcast helps you fall asleep, join Diana, Fatmir, Marianne, Merima, and dozens of other good people and make a contribution to support the show on Patreon or by PayPal. New as of this episode is also the option to subscribe to the show through Buzzsprout, this podcast hosting platform. All the links are in the episode show notes right there in your podcast listening app and at rememberingyugoslavia.com slash donate. Hello all you Martians out there. It's your turn, fixed foot, soul, with a bit of that old world flavor. You're tuned to Radio Nostalgia from Mars. Breathe easy, kick back, and reminisce. My name is Igor Simic. I was born in 1988. I'm Serbian-American, and I'm the CEO and creative director of a gaming and animation company called Demagogue Studio. Simic's father moved to the U.S. in the 1960s to pursue his education and stayed there. Simic was born in Belgrade and has lived in the U.S. off and on throughout his life. I went to Columbia University in New York. I ended up double majoring in film and philosophy at Columbia. And then I was accepted to the MFA program for film at Columbia, but I ended up not going basically because of Paul Schrader, the screenwriter of Taxi Driver, director of American Gigolo. And he said to the students, you're basically wasting your time and money by going here. 
And he said to them, if you think that you will be uh, a kind of indie New York filmmaker, you would already quit school and you'd be out there making films. But it's also highly unlikely that that era will return of Spike Lee and Jim Jarmusch and so forth. If you want to work within the film industry, you should simply move to L.A., But he said, if I was you in your position, I wouldn't even go into film. I would learn to code. And he said, at this moment, this was 2011, my senior year. And he said, at this moment, you uh, have an exhibition at the MoMA by an artist called Marina Abramovich. And regardless of what you think of her art, what is interesting is that it's interactive. You have to sit across from her. It's not simply a painting on a wall. And by the same token, in mainstream culture, what is making most revenue is a new edition of the game GTA, Grand Theft Auto. So he said, everyone in film industry is talking about Avatar, but in reality, GTA is making more at the box office and has more space for experimentation uh, in terms of narrative and interactivity. So he said, if you figure out a way of merging Marina Abramovich and GTA, you're basically creating a new art form. So that just lingered in my mind. And that's what eventually led to me entering gaming. You've made other games, but this one uh, captured my attention for its use of monuments. So tell me about uh, some of the evolution of the game and how did you come to use uh, those uh, monuments and other, obviously, other architecture in it? Shortly after college, I realized that when I make short films, I can peddle them as short films, but also as video art to art people. One short, Simich made in 2016, Melancholic Drone, ended up in the collection of the Museum of the Contemporary Art in Barcelona. In the film, a military drone flying over New Belgrade acquires a conscience, realizes he likes the place and breaks free. I am not one of them, I am free as a bird. I'm closer to the couple than to my operators. They are plugged into an unknown realm. Bye-bye, copulating couple. Bye-bye. I'm sorry I might have killed you. Now I know that this is not a video game. 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 I realized the new Belgrade is interesting and that I created this extremely low budget sci-fi simply by employing the architecture of the place I grew up in. This opened a kind of new possibility when we discussed doing a game, my friends and I, they said to me, your artsy fartsy stuff, that's all cool, but try to come up with an idea that might have some commercial potential. I mulled over it and I knew the world building has to come from our architecture because it's fresh. I knew that a lot of sci-fi recently is inspired by Hong Kong or Bangkok and so forth, but I've never been there. And it oftentimes smacks up some sort of cultural appropriation by people who don't really care or are interested. And by the same token, I saw that some Australian glasses company used the monument in Yasinovats for their commercials, which obviously is insensitive. So 
I just thought to myself, if Jean-Luc Godard can use Paris for his sci-fi dystopia, Alphaville, or Stanley Kubrick can use London for Clockwork Orange, perhaps we can do the same with Belgrade. And that was one starting point. Then the other thing was we were watching the news and it was becoming clear that Trump will be an actual candidate for president. And simultaneously, Elon Musk was becoming this celebrity entrepreneur. So somehow a concoction of these ideas happened in my mind. And I realized, okay, if Donald Trump is building golf courses and if Elon wants to go to Mars, the best case scenario is that we all die, all humankind is just evaporates while the 0.1%, they escape to Tesla City on Mars. And that basically means they get a clean slate on Earth. So a decade later, they can come back and just freely play golf in the ruins. And it's kind of ideal. So that's how the idea came about. And then when we started building the game, all of the Yugoslav architecture, but also Central European architecture was modernism. Because the idea was modernism believed in progress and the technology will save us on this grand scale. And this sunny city of La Corbusier was a huge influence on Yugoslav architects. So I thought it's kind of funny that all of this highfalutin speaking about um, the future of the new city is now just a ruin in our game. And then... Over those ruins, we can place these kitsch pink neons that refer to contemporary so-called post-ideological society and memes. And that's most clear in one shot in the game where you have the monument of Podgaric, obviously an anti-fascist monument. And then right next to it, you have a pink neon that says Kofefe. You can see this shot in the trailer for the game. Radio Nostalgia from Mars. High speed on the Autobahn, like spaceship Earth around the sun.
from home. Life passes quickly indeed. Another blast from the past, reminding us to savor each moment as it flies by. Speaking of savoring things, the health and well-being department would like us to remind you that the popping and fizzing noise your dried food makes when you're adding water is perfectly normal and does not mean it has gone off or is contaminated. Other Yugoslav monuments in the game include Kosma in Serbia and Tintište in Bosnia and Herzegovina. They play the role basically of creating a certain kind of landscape that the protagonist, the golfer, is going through playing his game. And obviously the person playing the game is going through as as they play the game. And so the use of monuments in that sense, the use of uh, national or liberation struggle monuments in that way has been criticized for trivializing the message that they have uh, basically mismiss or abusing them uh, for a different purpose in that, you know, we see Podgaric, we see Kosmai, we see other places used for their aesthetic value rather than what they signify, what they commemorate. And so have you faced this criticism before and, and what's your response to that? We haven't. And I think one of the reasons is that uh, they are actually used as a backdrop in a game by a company that comes from that region. And we have collaborators on the soundtrack. The soundtrack is massive uh, from Croatia, from Bosnia and so forth, from Macedonia. Uh, It's in a way a regional project. And to an extent, we are using our own heritage. That said, using it, the monuments in a kind of context that is not reverential was precisely the point. Because we have, for example, a monument to Elon Musk that is fully based on the monument to Karl Marx in Germany. We have uh, a complete mishmash of ideolo- ideology and messaging. And that was the point. So uh, the, the monuments already have a very complicated place within Yugoslavia because some of these countries after the breakup might interpret them as a kind of imposition because they were built by Yugoslavia. This complication makes it all the more funny. And it's a kind of humor like watching a comedy about the Second World War. And we are living in a time where all of these things are relativized. So the game is about it. But for people who experience it closely, it's about much more, such as the survival of humanity on a very kind of basic level. One parallel or additional line to that was, uh, or typically is that uh, if I look at the monument as a prop or as an aesthetic uh, part of the landscape in a commercial product like this, I don't know what it's what it is. I don't know what it commemorates. I don't know the the history there. So I'm just looking at the form rather than the, what it what it signifies. But what you're saying or adding to this is that you're adding another layer of meaning to all these meanings that have been layered upon these structures already and uh, putting them in also in context of the whole game. You know, if, if as a Yugoslav, quote unquote, Yugoslavia watcher, former Yugoslavia watcher, all I see is the monuments or in your case, of course, the modernist architecture, I just see that. Whereas what you're saying, if it's put in the context of the whole landscape, all the other monuments, all the other architecture, because obviously there are other significant architectural and architectonic uh, uh, structures there, it acquires a whole another meaning that you kind of have to 
get or or understand or see by playing the game not just not just by like isolated you know incidents of oh my god they're using this in this non-contextual way yeah yeah on that kind of uh, more philosophical level there are two main ideological cornerstones of the game one is this east west middle of europe so we have for example alex platz in berlin so it's Funny because Alex Platz is next to a building that has a huge Weltschmerz uh, neon. And this East-West division is almost kind of how the game progresses. And it puts that into question and also kind of makes it funny. The other cornerstone is Silicon Valley as a kind of dominant ideology today. And the game kind of is a tongue-in-cheek proposal that early Soviet or even broader speaking communism and some ideas even that come from Russia about uh, solving the problem of death and uh, industrial uh, spreading of industrial capabilities is very similar to ideas that you might find traces of in the ideology of one Elon Musk or Zuckerberg or one Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel is obsessed with solving not dying. And not dying is one of the prerequisites of having a fully egalitarian society, because if no one ever dies, then it's, you know. So uh, there's a lot of these ideas about progress and what it means to be equal and what authoritarianism means, which is an undercurrent, because in the radio program, the Tesla city on Mars, which is supposed to be this ideal place and utopia ends up also being authoritarian. And uh, we also make fun of East-West division because the CEO of this venture of moving to Mars is called Muscovich. We purposefully blur all of these tropes. If you sell sunglasses and you use the Yasinovats monument, that's one thing. And that's completely pulled out of context, and it's an Australian company. But if you use it in a project like this, which is a commercial project, but it's also an art project. It was exhibited in Palazzo Strozzi in Italy. It was exhibited in Pristina, of all, of all places, in an observatory within a youth complex that was built during Yugoslavia. So this complication is the poetry of the project. What have you heard from players, from people about the game? What, what's the feedback that you've been getting? We mostly get praise from the culture here simply because it's kind of unheard of that you open the App Store or Sony Store and suddenly the first thing you see is Genix. So there is almost a kind of element of pride. People are kind of shocked because the premise is a golf game. But it's the function of golf is almost like imagine that Samuel Beckett was a game developer. That type of absurdity, the apocalypse have, has happened. Ostensibly, there is no humans left and the guy is golfing over ruins. That throws them. And uh, then when they realize that there is radio nostalgia from Mars, which is has nothing to do, literally nothing to do with Yugo nostalgia, but is nostalgia for Earth. 
So it's almost like a Proust type of rumination about the past and about certain small experiences like driving a bicycle in the city, being able to uh, have simple things in life like friends going out, uh, having air. There's no oxygen on Mars. There's no gravity there like we have here. So all of these memories are tied to things we take for granted currently. So uh, it's a meditation on the present moment from a future vantage point, the radio show. And then all of the music is from the future. So it's kind of retro future music. People are moved by that. The game is almost like an audiobook that you listen and then you also have these picture and interactive elements. And uh, we have comments where someone uh, cried at the end of the game because the main character decides to stay on Earth, even though the new environment will kill him eventually. His immunity can't cope, but will decide to stay because of this mutant kid that he meets on Earth. And the mutant kid is kind of inspired by me growing up in New Belgrade and comes from the rubble of kind of a brutalist neighborhood. So it's more about atmosphere and people dig the atmosphere uh, because they recognize the atmosphere is genuine. Mostly they comment on the music. Uh, they comment on some Easter eggs, neons and graffiti that we have peppered around the world building. So. It's mostly positive. 2023 will see the release of a Golf Club Wasteland prequel and sequel games, High Water and The Cub. What we are working on is to make our own TV series eventually, an animated or maybe even live action series based around this world, because we're doing two more games that will roll out within the same world building. So hopefully this culture and all of this background that we're discussing now will be woven in and have a new life, a new relevance, and a new openness for discussion within the region, thanks to something that is so multifaceted and exists in various media, in music, in animation, and gaming. The soundtrack for Golf Club Wasteland is available for purchase on Bandcamp and Apple Music. I've played excerpts here for you, courtesy of Demagogue Studio.
So I was born in 1992 in Belgrade, living in New Belgrade for all of my life. Jovana Radojko is the creator of Brutalism i Renesanca, Brutalism and the Renaissance, an Instagram account where she shares her line drawings of brutalist and modernist buildings from Belgrade and beyond. I'm really fond of Belgrade, but especially of New Belgrade because all of my childhood memories, stuff like that, are from here. So that's the, my favorite part of the city. Here, we are like big community here. Every building is like community for itself, and then every block is community for itself. I grew up with my grandma. She was living uh, at New Belgrade as well. So I spent a lot of time maybe with older people, with old neighbors, grandmas, grandpas, and stuff like that. So I got, I don't know, that feeling of being, I don't know, in a community, you know. So that was like really important. You've used the word community a number of times, especially in the West. The, the image or maybe the stereotype is that Uh, the kind of housing that New Belgrade uh, represents, that apartment block, apartment towers, housing is really kind of alienating. And, you know, it's it's just basically like dormitories for workers. And you seem to have a different take on this. So what would you say to people who think, you know, all Belgrade is just apartment blocks and it's cold and lifeless and so on? How does that actually work in real life? I mean, I guess it's working in a specific way here. Because I know there are blocks all over the world, but here, I don't know, maybe it's like a post-war thing, you know. I think back in the 90s and early 2000s, people were like really friendly to each other because of all the stuff that happened. And we were like functioning like really like a little community because people were like, can I go to my neighbor to borrow some, I don't know, coffee to borrow some some blah 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 so people were just like living like one big family my favorite memories from my childhood are that because i was uh, able to go and knock on my neighbor's door and be like hello can i get some blah 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 and they were like of course and so on so maybe that thing that people just wanted to be there for each other when i say community i think of that in my blog we have like nine buildings we have between all of those buildings we have parks we have like school playground and stuff like that so i think we had uh, different uh, surroundings than people living in center i believe because the block was ours the streets were like boundaries of the block and we just had our place in block to play around and so on and so we had like little little uh, communities all over the place and i don't get the feeling that it's like that in the city center or somewhere else so you're in block three is that right uh, yes how would you describe your your block like what do you see from your window or how is it built what's nearby you know just just give us a sense of the place my block is pretty small one of the smallest blocks in uh, new belgrade and i like it because of that because Other parts of New Belgrade, like block 61, 62, 63, they're like kind of too big for me and kind of intimidating because I live in my small block. And actually I like it because we have like four main streets around the block. We Our buildings in a block are next to the street and everything in between is actually greenery, parks and stuff like that. So I kind of feel really safe here. I mean, there is not a lot of noise in the center of the block. You can always 
go to the park or under the tree or something like that, drink coffee. And I'm really fine with that because mm-hmm. it, it gives me safety moments. And mm-hmm. I'm living on the eighth floor. That's kind of cool because I can see like everything in my block. Okay, not everything in your Belgrade, but I can see like, half of New Belgrade from my balcony. So mm-hmm. it, that's kind of nice. Growing up where you did, living where you are, how did you go from you know being a child to like you know studying architecture and uh, design and, and art? Uh, w- were there any specific uh, triggers for you, or what was your motivation or your inspiration for that? I always liked to draw stuff, and I don't know. I mean, I was going to a mathematical gymnasium, so. I, it just happened. I mean, architecture was like something in between of everything. <laughs> and uh, my uh, bachelor degree is from architecture. And then I decided to go to master uh, in interior design because that was more artistic. I mean, architecture studies gave me the theoretical stuff. But the thing is, I always wanted to, you know, like give homage to my childhood in some way. and. To New Belgrade and to me growing up here. So uh, I've been working in the field for some time. I've been working on university and doing some interior design jobs. But at the moment, I'm doing the design and uh, my artwork. How did you get started in that? I mean, that's that's how I found you through your drawings uh, on, on on Instagram, right? Tell me the process to your first drawing and then how you developed or evolved to this point. It just happened, I have to say, because I was always drawing something, as I said, and on my university, when we did some projects and so on, I always started projects with freehand drawings. That's the thing I do. And after I finished my university, I just realized I never did a proper drawing of New Belgrade, because all of our university projects were like wherever, but not here. So I don't know, I was just sitting on my balcony and watching this block and new belgrade and so on and i just decided to start to draw my view because i really like my view from the balcony and i just took notebook and started to draw it happened like that i didn't hear i have any like i don't know thoughts about it i just wanted to draw that mm-hmm. and then i was like okay this picture is really cool so i put it on my facebook account on my profile just like that and people were actually amazed by it and they were like ah this is this that and that block uh-huh we recognize stuff la 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 would you draw, draw some more and so on and i was like why not so i just started to put drawings in my notebook day by day trying to capture everything i can see from my balcony because this is an audio medium can you describe your method with these uh drawings uh what they look like how, what's your process in creating them the most important thing to me is to pick a scene. I mean, I prefer drawing buildings as I can see them. And my first drawings were from my balcony, so we're just sitting, watching the building, making like some lines with the pencil, just to make it look proper. And then I just use black ink, and that's it. And my main goal is to capture the exact moment I'm looking at. So if our windows open, close with shades or not. So I don't know, just 
watching and build at the building and trying to capture exact moment. And after that, because I just do all of the buildings I can see from my balcony, and then I started to take pictures wherever I go somewhere. Uh, if I see something that catches my eye or something like that, I just take a picture and then I watch it on my uh, computer or something and redrawing it in the notebook. So it's quite simple. I cannot say anything else about the technique, just trying to capture the moment. One thing that is intriguing and just kind of mind-blowing is is the amount of detail. You know, these are for the most part, you know, very straight lines that you're drawing, right? But you're drawing them by hand and they come out, you know, straight. So you're not, you don't use a ruler, I understand. You don't render and print uh, out of Photoshop. You just draw everything by hand. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know why. I just wanted to do that. Huh. And it was like a challenge for me, I guess. Mm. Like, Johanna, can you draw this by hand? And I was like, right. okay, I'll try. <laughs> Yeah. And yeah, it happened. I don't use rulers because with using rulers, I think it would look more like I did it on computer, and that's not the thing I wanted to do. Um, I wanted them to be hand drawn and to people can perceive them as hand drawn. Raduko adds a colorful background to each drawing with felt tip markers, the color being based on the moment, the feeling in the moment, the mood she's experiencing. Raduko did the first Brutalizami Renaissance drawing in the summer of 2018 and has completed some 200 drawings since then. What is your goal or do you have any kind of artistic objectives with this or is it just kind of like you're just doing it because it's fun? <laughs> I mean, it started like that because it was really fun. But I don't know, I think it's safe to say at the time trying to like, you know, preserve the memory of New Belgrade and of brutalist buildings and modernism buildings because I think it's important to understand that we have really specific architecture and stuff here. So that's the other part. I mean, it was fun and it was like something personal for me because of the new Belgrade. But on the other hand, I think uh, we should raise awareness about what we have here. What's so special about it? Why does it need to be preserved, I guess? I don't know. I kind of have a feeling we are using this building in a specific way. I mean, you have like socialist and modernistic buildings all over the world, Europe or whatever. But for me, I think we kind of inhabit those buildings in a specific way, you know, because for me, brutalist buildings are like big concrete blocks, like tabula rasa squares where people can go inside and live their little comfy lives inside. So every square is different because of the people that live inside. So I think it's interesting and I think people in Serbia, I don't know, we like to make our living space uh, really unique. And you can see that because between all of that concrete, every balcony is different. Everybody has like, I don't know, flowers, plants, and other colors and stuff like that. And I don't know, I, li I like seeing that. The simple yeah. life in concrete, you know. So what kind of uh, feedback are you hearing on your drawings? From my circle and from New Belgrade, for example, people are a lot more like, ah, oh, this is my building, this is my block, and so on. So they re recognize uh, themselves in my pictures. So that's like the first line of people, they follow me. People who live here and they enjoy seeing their buildings and their blocks 
in drawings and in some other medium than photography. People from New Belgrade have that uh, local patriotic moment as well. <laughs> yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, I can imagine. And from abroad, people, I think they they like the aesthetics of uh, active Yugoslav brutalism and modernism. So I think it's interesting for them as well. This project, the, these drawings, uh, it now has a commercial uh, aspect to it. You know, you're, I believe you're doing uh, posters and some t-shirts, is that right? All of that started like randomly, of course, like everything else. I just put my drawings on Instagram because my friends were like, you have to make an Instagram for your drawings and so on, so on. So I did that. And at some point, people just started to ask me, can we find these pictures somewhere, can we get them, and so on. So I did that because I like the feeling of making people happy. Because people were like, oh, oh my God, I was born there, or my girlfriend lives there, or whatever. So they wanted to have my pictures in their apartments, or on their t-shirts, and so on. So that happened randomly, but it's kind of cool, you know, because you can make people happy by giving them the drawing of their blog. Right. For prints and other merch featuring Radojko's drawings, direct message her on Instagram at Brutalizami Renesanza. Posters of her work are also available at vinyl.rs for about $20 a pop. Since we spoke last year, Radojko also exhibited her drawings at the Krokodilov Centar in Belgrade. And she has expanded her reach beyond New Belgrade and beyond Belgrade itself into other cities around Serbia. She has also been drawing some of the major Yugoslav-era monuments.
That was Autopark from Belgrade with Nije Moja Stvar, Not My Thing, by their music. As always, links are at rememberingyugoslavia.com slash podcast. You've heard my next guest on the show a couple of times already. Donald Niebel is a friend of the Remembering Yugoslavia podcast, and more importantly, the man behind Spomenik database, which did more for the popularization of Yugoslav-era World War II monuments than anyone or anything else. He has another project under construction, and I joined him on a research field trip in New Belgrade, specifically in Block 22, to learn more. This is actually good up here. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's... I can sit uh, here. Okay, yeah. good. Okay, so, your new endeavor. I'm in the process and towards the, the, the ambition of putting together a guide for New Belgrade so one can learn about each and every single one of the blocks here, starting at 1 and going all the way to 72 and beyond, uh, to learn about, you know, essentially every single kind of corner and aspect and facet of this kind of very labyrinthine city that that one can learn because right now there's not really a, a conduit for people who are visiting here to to learn about you know what is this what is this history what am i seeing where are the blocks how do i navigate and what does it all mean so it will be basically a new belgrade version of spumming database in a way yeah in the sense that uh kind of starting from the it's 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 very early beginnings and explaining you know how did it come to be created what was the impetus what was the impetus behind it and what were the, what was the vision that people had what was what were the creators hoping to achieve through this really ambitious uh endeavor to build a city on uh the swampland that was the confluence of the sava and the danube so new belgrade database <laughs> not exactly. I'm not sure if I want to make a, a database website, yeah. maybe an app uh, for people to be here and navigate through, but certainly a, a book uh, for people to have in their yeah. hands, yeah, yeah, yeah. to be here, yeah. to like stand, like sit right here where we're sitting in this beautiful courtyard in, in Block 22 and learn about, you know, who was it that created this, this building? What is the system and why is it crafted in this very unusual way that it is? Because, uh, you know, this isn't the sort of concrete high-rises and social housing that one might expect to see in maybe uh, the UK or the US. It's, this is something completely different and, and really kind of pioneering and uh, something that, that really would be an immense tourist attraction for people from around the world to come here and just kind of walk through these spaces and really kind of understand you know, what was New Belgrade under the, the, the socialist Yugoslav system and what did they want to achieve with it? Nebel plans to launch his new Belgrade guide, named TBD, later this year. Some people might find problematic your statement that uh, you want to make New Belgrade a tourist attraction. It's really, uh, you know, a place where people live. And it was kind of inspired by so many people that I met uh, that had come to New Belgrade specifically, or come to Belgrade specifically to see the blocks of New Belgrade. Uh, and I just was continually amazed by that, that, that they would come here specifically uh, to see this. Something that they, despite all their curiosity, you, they kind of just had to find their own way and didn't necessarily know always what they were looking at when they were seeing it. And I thought it would just be so, uh, such a great idea and, and, and such a fun sort of 
service to have for people, a book, a guide to, to be here, whether it be this block here in 22 or anywhere uh, in New Belgrade and just kind of go around and, and learn about the history and um, kind of just go through these spaces and, and learn about the, the ideology that went behind, that, that was behind the idea of creating, you know, accessible mass social housing. And especially in these days uh, with, with housing being such an issue in so many places in the West, particularly in the U.S. right now and in Europe, uh, I think it would be of service to a lot of people to come, you know, here as a tourist to New Belgrade and learn about the social housing system. What were uh, people here in Yugoslavia doing? What were they thinking behind these ideas of, of providing hundreds of thousands of people a place to live and making it somewhere that could be, could be elevating, that could lift their spirits and be have, you know, a humanizing uh, access to all of the things they needed within their blocks and you know yeah. eliminate so many of the, the, po- the pre-World War II issues that existed yeah. as yeah. far as yeah. housing yeah. went. Yeah. New Belgrade is hot right now quote-unquote. Why do you think that is? I think a lot of that has to do with you know its space that it has. I mean if you live in the old city uh, Dorchal or whatnot, but actually you, you know, it's tight in there. You know, you don't necessarily have a lot of open space. Uh, it's very, it can be very claustrophobic uh, in many ways. But here, I mean, you have so many open spaces. You have parks. You have greenways. You have trees that are, you know, almost forests in places where the parks are. And I think, you know, while yeah, a lot of people kind of look sideways at New Belgrade that live maybe in the old city and kind of maybe look down on it, but I know plenty of people who grew up here in New Belgrade and just said it was the most amazing experience, you know, to be a child here, to play uh, in the playgrounds with the families and the children, which were back then everywhere. Uh, and it was just such an overflowing sense of optimism back then in this, in this area, even though it took time for it to get off the ground for it to kind of come into itself. So let's talk about Block 22 as a, an example of what uh, you might cover in your project when it comes to each individual block, because as you mentioned earlier, uh, they're each uh, different, uh, differently built, different architecture. Some of them may be same ideas in terms of livability, separating living spaces from uh, leisure spaces, from shopping spaces, so that it's all, but it's all kind of making a unit. Mm-hmm. What do we know, what do you know about Block 22 specifically? This is within what is often referred to as the central zone, which is right in front of the Sieve or the Palace of, of uh, Serbia, which was intended originally as to be like the main governmental building. And this was the kind of the premier central location right off of that of nine blocks. Uh, and we're here on, I guess, the east side, uh, 22. And these were a set of blocks that were meant to be kind of... A lot of these were commissioned by the Yugoslav military to be like military uh, housing for officers and personnel and things like that. And so they had lots of very strict ideas about you know how many square meters of, of living space and how many... Even things as, as uh, specific as, like, they didn't want shops on the bottoms of... The, the apartment units uh, in many cases because they didn't want to disturb the peace 
that the that the officers would experience when they're home from their from whatever duties they're on to rest and so you'll see like a lot of these you know you'll see the apartments right on the ground floor and you'll be in other blocks where you won't see that you'll have a, you'll have storefronts on the on the bottom floor so that's kind of like a telltale sign of who these blocks were may have been designed for and, and how they're all laid out uh, and this particular one uh, it was finished between you know in various stages between 1972 and 1976 built at the same exact time as uh, block 23 right next door and uh, designed both by the architects Alexander uh, Stepanovich and Bozidar Yankovic and Bratislav Katerzic. One thing that you'll see as you kind of go around the different blocks is they'll have this layout of making sure that you have adequate so you have like let's say this block right here they want to make sure okay so we have this this low tower uh, maybe we have 50 60 apartments in there and we want to make sure that within proximity of this there is places for people to come out and have you know look out their window have a view they want they made sure even in the planning of laying it out we have make sure they get proper sun, make sure they have windows pointing the right amount of directions, make sure they have proximity to this courtyard, like here, that we're sitting in, as well as proximity to shopping, which we see right over there in the distance, and schools, which is their one right around the corner. And this was all part of this idea of making sure that make people did not have to to break their backs in order to accomplish the most daily tasks of life to make sure that if they wanted shopping if they wanted work if they wanted to take their children uh, it wasn't going to be something that you know they were going to get hit by a car like right now we're within the central area there's no through traffic here all the through traffic is pushed to the periphery of the block and there's just parking on the edges and here in the center this is purely uh, pedestrian purely for relaxing and and I have to say just being right here this is quite a little relaxing spot even though you know yes is we're surrounded by pure concrete but you know it's not that it doesn't feel oppressive it doesn't feel like this idea uh, that many might have of being you know punished by by large amounts of unadorned unpainted raw concrete it's it can be pleasing if, if you surround it with greenery if you surround it with attractive spaces it's it's something that um, everyone can enjoy and as far as like the layout of this block you know these blocks here uh, block 22 this was uh, off of the there was supposed to be the central kind of corridor from the between the sieve and the train and the main Belgrade train station and so these were very kind of exclusive uh, not necessarily exclusive in the terms of like big expensive apartments but uh, living in this zone here uh, would would certainly have been an honor for anyone who who happened to get an apartment here for being so close for being in the central zone for being so close to the sieve and for being uh, right off of this central corridor and uh, and if you look at these apartments here you know you can see that these little architectural flourishes that were put in to the to the tops and the corners on these roof lines here uh, you know that they didn't have to do that they, they put in these sorts of little flourishes of creativity of touches of of you know texture in the in the facades where you know you see these window boxes you know they didn't have to do that uh, that is that was you know ad, that adds expense when you create these sorts of layering these sorts of facets in the 
in the concrete in these panel systems because really you know it's cheaper in these sorts of prefabricated panel systems make everything the same shape uh just stick it all together make it a box throw it up no problem but you know you can just you can tell in the way it was all assembled you know they wanted to create some uh really dynamic facades with these that really transcended this idea that concrete had to be ugly it had to be uniform and it had to you know this kind of very soviet yeah, yeah. idea of what concrete housing was yeah. uh should we take a walk let's take a walk okay and then head to 23 which uh you know seems more famous than, it is. It is than famous. this you know 22 is good too but yeah, yeah. 23 is no, it's, it's absolutely true. I mean, I, I grew up in, uh, in a development like this, uh, but it was nothing like this. You know, in Czechoslovakia, the architecture wasn't as, uh, as innovative, wasn't as, uh, I don't know, the ideas weren't there in the same way. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I mean, spaces were livable and we played it, played as children and all, the, all this stuff. But um, this, is, this feels, even to me, who, again, grew up in the, in the concrete jungle, uh, this feels uh, much, much, uh, much, much different. Even to me, it seems intriguing. Uh, so I want to know about New Belgrade, and so I really appreciate your doing what you're doing. Over a footbridge spanning the A3 freeway, formerly known as the Brotherhood and Unity Highway, we cross from Block 22 to Block 23. Massive slabs run parallel to the highway, and on the other side of the block, beyond a stretch of greenery and a red brick school, apartment towers dot the horizon. And I just love the tangibility you know the i guess you could call it the the brutal honesty that these buildings uh contain in their and you know the fact that they're raw concrete the fact that they're not trying to fool you they're very honest buildings the brutal honesty of brutalism yeah the brutal honesty of brutalism uh that that is uh i think something that you almost have to appreciate it on a physical level because it's for some people yeah it's on an aesthetic level it's hard you know i'll be the first to admit uh that it can be a bit intimidating and almost imposing if not dehumanizing uh, on some level if, if you're not familiar with these on you know like what is this and maybe yes it does take a little bit of kind of historical understanding to to process what were they thinking when they built this because i think a lot of people might see these and think like one one would have to be absolutely crazy to build to build in such a way but it the end of the day i think there's i think there's great energy here uh -huh. that isn't always appreciated yeah. or respected yeah. by people who aren't yeah. who haven't been here before just see pictures because yeah looking at a picture of these in moma will only give you a small a modicum of understanding of what it's like to actually be within them uh -huh. and to you know see the sun shining through them and to create cast these massive shadows and but to be still maintaining this feeling of safeness of security of of relaxation while you're you're standing amongst it all Remembering Yugoslavia is in itself obviously inspired by Yugoslavia, by definition and default. The longer I do it, the more people I find who draw inspiration for their creative work from the disappeared country, the material culture, art, commercial products, and yes, even politics. Have you been inspired by Yugoslavia to make creations of your own? 
Has the podcast itself inspired you in any way? Or do you know someone who has? Let me know and I'd be happy to share here on the show with other listeners. Visit rememberingyugoslavia.com slash contact, scroll down to the section, send us an audio message and record your story there. The limit is 90 seconds, but you can do it in installments. I can't wait to hear and feature your or your friend's project. Next on Remembering Yugoslavia. Somehow I have taken as a task to fight against nationalism and against the rising fascism, not with guns, but with knowledge, with spreading the knowledge about what happened and where this, all this hate leads to. Inspired by Yugoslavia, I will continue with a third installment. We'll make another game, in 3D this time, a film or a TV show, and some drawings too. Tune in wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to make sure you don't miss out. That's all for this episode of Remembering Yugoslavia. Thank you for listening and for your support. Find additional information and a transcript of this episode at rememberingyugoslavia.com slash podcast. To donate, go to rememberingyugoslavia.com slash donate. Outro music courtesy of Robert Petric, additional music courtesy of Demagogue Studio and Autopark. Buy their music. The track by Petar Alargic licensed under Creative Commons. I am Petar Korchniak. Ciao! brings us to the end of the show it's been a pleasure to take your hand and remember no matter how cramped and stuffy we feel there's always a breath of fresh air in our memories of blue skies